welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paul. How's it going today? Uh, doing well. Fantastic. Um, got my uh, federal and state refunds back um, already. I sort of remember them taking much longer in the past to get both refunds back, but both of them appeared in my account in the last couple of weeks, I guess. So I was pretty happy about that to see that come in. Um, I have to do something with some of that today. I'll probably make some uh, investments into the 529 plan for the kids, uh, get get that started for this year. Um, the other funny thing was I was shopping a couple of weeks ago and... Um, I was at the store and I remember I had like a, a coupon because I'm very diligent about I do the food shopping. So I, I, I watch my coupons and and I look at the online coupons and mostly online coupons at this point. Long story short, I looked at the register. The total was like one hundred and eighteen dollars. And I knew that I had a coupon on my account that if I spent one hundred and twenty, I get the uh, twelve dollars off. <laughs> right. So instinctively, um, I was with my daughter and uh and we were telling the cashier who knows us i said can you give me one minute and i ran over to an end cap grabbed a bag of tostitos and threw them on the counter and um and it brought us over the total so that bag of tostitos uh you know which cost us three i think saved me eight or something you know (laughs) i'm probably doing the math wrong but um you always got to kind of every little bit counts right uh which i think is key um, and then lastly, uh, April 9th, 2019, actually April 27th, 2019, was our first episode. So we have oh. somewhat of a podcast anniversary uh, today. So shout out to both Jody and yourself, Paul, because um, without both of you, uh, we wouldn't be hitting this anniversary. So thank you. Uh, and thanks for all the listeners and, and for those listening to us Um we're trying to keep this going, and uh, and hopefully we'll keep go- keep it going for many more years to come. Absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 a fun journey, a fun ride here, and uh, you know we learn stuff every week as well when we do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't realize when we pick topics, especially uh, like we're looking to do some topics on cryptocurrency. We did a topic. We did last time's topic on reverse mortgages. Um, we we don't do a topic without putting a little bit of thought and a little bit of research into those topics, especially the ones that are new frontiers for us, right? Uh, where we heard a little bit about it, we're not quite sure, and trying to figure those things out. So um, stay tuned. Uh, we'll we'll continue to bring you uh, what we can in terms of uh, broadcast quality, if if that's still the right word for this kind of stuff. But we'll bring you good content, and hopefully we'll keep that moving. So thanks, everybody. Um, today's topic is going to be Reddit personal finance random topics. Um, we've done this before. We always have a lot of fun with it. We'll jump into the uh, personal finance group section of reddit.com and we'll take a number of random topics from there and, and go through them and we'll kind of give our opinions to what we think um, the answers might be for some of those items. Uh, but first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story is from uh, a Motley Fool service called The Ascent, 10 Things Not to Buy on the Cheap. 
Um, I thought this was an interesting article. I was scrolling through it. I, I agreed pretty much with everything in here. Uh, the borderline thing for me is probably the laptop. Um, I'm not sure because I think I go back to when it comes to buying technology. It really depends on the use case. So defining a, a laptop as cheap or quality, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I guess what they mean here is don't buy the cheapest laptop available. Um, which, which I guess I could buy that, but really when it comes to buying technology, you really want to buy it for fit and purpose. I think that's the key, but everything else in here, uh, batteries, light bulbs, wall paint, uh, shoes, mattresses, uh, tires, uh, dish soap, pet food and appliances. I can't speak for pet food at this point, Paul, you can. So Paul, what, what was your thoughts on this story? Um, I kind of agree with you wholeheartedly on this one, Paul. I actually have a funny story about the batteries. Um, in the firehouse, we got some new air packs, and every few months we had to change the batteries out of them because there is a, uh, a heads-up little display light indicators that tell us how much air we have. Those are battery-driven. And it was new air packs. You know, it was about six months in. All right, time to replace the batteries. And it was like, anyone have any batteries? I'm like, hold on, hold on. We're, we're not just getting the cheapo... Uh, I think the, the cheap Amazon batteries were getting the proper, you know, I think they're Energizer industrial batteries because they make a difference. I'm not going to put someone's life on the line to save a dollar, right? So I, I thought that was really interesting here. And they go into a little bit more detail here about the number of joules in each battery and things like that. So it was, it was really interesting. Uh, the other funny story on the batteries, I used the Nest um protect the CO and fire uh, smoke detectors in my home. And I did replace them with a cheaper battery at one point. And the unit alerted me, you know, maybe a few weeks later saying, you didn't put in the proper, again, it was the Energizer lithium battery at that time, um, into the unit and you need to replace them again. So really interesting, really kind of cool on the batteries. Everything else, you know, light bulbs, totally agree, wall paint, you know, yeah, I tried the cheap thing and buying the cheaper paint, and it didn't cover at all, especially if you're doing darker colors. Wow. You know, covering over a darker color, you know, never, never get anywhere on that. Mattresses, shoes, dish soap, you know, pet food. Yeah, we just got the puppy. I'm, I'm a novice. I don't know what I'm doing. Thankfully, I have my bride, and she knows what she's doing with the dog. And uh, appliances, I had to buy a bunch of new appliances recently, a uh, new washer and dryer. And uh, he got something different for the washing machine, actually. They had this pure wash system, which um, does some sort of oxidation process through the water. So you don't need, they claim you don't need any laundry detergent at all. We're hmm. using that. So that's sort of interesting. I'm playing with that right now, just a couple weeks into that. So far, so good. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think overall the spirit of the article uh, made sense to me. Um, so I think that, um, you know, for me, especially on the appliance front, you know, if you go too cheap, it'll just bring you more headaches in the future. Um, or you'll have to, like in the battery case, you, you know, if you buy cheaper batteries, they may, you may have to replace them sooner. So you sort of get what you pay for. Maybe that's the 
the maybe that's it, right? Yeah, you I think that comes to mind. You get what you pay for sometimes, and and those items that they called out um, resonated with me. So um, with that, we'll go to the second story uh, from Kiplinger. Uh, three money musts for every one of us, inspired by Financial Literacy Month. I did not realize it was Financial Literacy Month. Is that this month? I guess it is. We're in a- it was an April 27th, uh, 2021 story. So I'm guessing that it is, a- yes, yeah, as April marks Financial Literacy Month. So a time to remind ourselves of healthy financial habits. So this article was no surprise, um, you know, citing three key things which we keep talking about. Um, over and over and over again, so they're worth reiterating. Uh, managing your debt with the snowball method. I- I've never heard of the avalanche method. I've only heard of the of the with. I've never. I've only heard of the snowball method. Um, the avalanche method encourages you to organize your debts by interest rate. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I'd rather do the snowball. Um, there's a lot of reasons for the snowball method. Uh, if you want to learn a lot about the snowball method, uh, just go to DaveRamsey.com. He'll describe it in detail. It's all about mindset and and so much, not so much around interest rate. So I would agree with the snowball method, unless there's an extreme circumstance uh, where the interests are really disparate, uh, where I might start with the small, you know, with the with the larger debt that might have the interest rate instead of the smallest debt. But other than that, I, I, I agree that, you know, managing the debt with either method could be good. Preferably for me, it's the snowball method. Um, getting serious about the emergency fund. I thought that was interesting. Uh, making sure once again that, you know, you, you have a good understanding why you need it, um, that it's put aside. It's, it's readily accessible. All the normal things we've talked about. Um, and then the third item around setting a 15% goal when saving for retirement. Um, I think it's at least 15%. Uh, the more the merrier. Um, to me, in terms of saving, I think 15% is that minimum threshold. I would say that you know beyond that is even better. So I don't think there's a particular goal. I, I mean, a, a, a percentage goal that would be too big for me. I think it would be if it's impacting your weekly finances, then I could see uh, not maximizing. But for me, the rule of thumb for saving for retirement has always been to maximize the percentage of income that you can. Uh, Paul, what's your thought on this story? So a uh, couple points here, the avalanche snowball methodologies. Um, I think I've just always instinctively sort of done a little bit of both, but I always look at the percentage rate on things and then the biggest things first. So uh, I agree with you there. You're know, looking at the Ramsey site to, to help guide you on some of that. Good thing. The emergency fund, we've talked about a few things, a few times, actually. Um, I agree. The one thing I thought was interesting here was they're suggesting six months of expenses. And that's something you and I've talked about, maybe not even during recording, but just in general, like what is the right number? And uh, it's interesting to see Kiplinger's sort of giving a number, a term, your six months of expenses. And this is something you and I debated a little bit, and that's around, you know, readily available. Like today, I'm defining readily available as, you know, in a savings or checking account, something right there, where personally I have some in that, right, in a savings account, of course, and then I take the rest of it and I sort of invested it, but knowing that I could get that somewhat quickly, not immediate. And I know that, 
But if you have a big expense, generally you have a little bit of time to get it out of another account. But that's a riskier account as an investment. And how much risk are you willing to tolerate or, you know, whether. And then the last uh, part was the 15% goal. You know, I, I think it's great. It's, it's a goal. It's tough for a lot of people to achieve. Um, my older son, he's uh, going to be graduating from college Um you know, very soon, next month, I believe June is the date. So that's great. He he has a job offer, which is wonderful. And we already started talking about planning and looking at his retirement savings and the 401k offering and things like that. So, you know, he's graduating and he's able to already start thinking about retirement plans. I'm just so excited by that. I'm so excited that he understands some of these things already and He's going to set himself up well, very well, I think, for the future. So I, I kind of thought this was a good article. I, I agree. I agree with you. I, I like the uh, content here. Yeah, I think it's got all the basic tenets of what we talk about, right? So, you know, we try to strive for the maximum. There's all these different pieces in here that we talked about in terms of accessible to cash and stuff. But it really comes down to personal choice, right? And And a lot of these are are probably two-way door decisions. I mean, if you had to, um, you know, pull the money out, yeah, you could probably get to it. You hope that it's not in a period where the investment is down past where you put the money in, right? So there's a lot of things that come into play. But, it, you know, is I think the concept, the mechanics of saving, of having that fund, uh, whether what format you have it in or not, what type of investment vehicle you have it in or not, um, you know, you want it to be somewhat liquid, uh, but it, it all comes down to personal choice, right? So uh, for me personally, it's always been keeping the emergency fund, you know, very liquid. For me, it's always been about maximizing um, my retirement savings as much as I could, um, because we had... Um, I spoke about this in the past and especially around maximizing retirement, right? Because it's one of those things, and, and I go back to um, my financial superhero uh, who told me about this. He says, as a worker, right, working for somebody in America, really the only decent tax break you get is the money that you put into your retirement, Right. So, you know, whatever you put in, you max that out. It comes off of your adjusted gross income, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I've always kept that in mind. And that's why I've always tried to maximize it. Once again, maximizing without impacting your family's yeah. uh, survival, but maximizing it not only for your purposes of planning for the future, but also you get that tax break because it's one of. It might be the only tax break left. I don't know. It's very close to being one of the few that are remaining for anyone who has a job, right? So I always remember that. So that's why I've always maxed it out and yeah, instruct and my spouse I, to do it as well. Yeah, Paul, I, I agree with you. And on that one, it's, it's interesting. You know, you, you say maxing out as much as you can while still being able to survive. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I mean, earlier, especially in my career, there were a number of times where I was putting money away in that. I'm like, Oh, I really kind of could have used some more of that into the regular savings account. So it was a, for me, uh, it was a little bit more of a dicey gamble earlier in my career where I was a lot more nervous. I'm like, I, I need to invest for my retirement. I needed to. And, you know, you know pasta dinner nights, you know, things like that help save some more. But uh, good point there. Good point. I, I don't know if many other 
true, true uh, advantages anymore. I mean, even the mortgage ones have dissipated over the years. Yeah, I mean, I think that from what I'm seeing, and I know we're going a little bit off topic and digging into the stories, but I think the way the tax laws have changed, and this isn't a political thing, but most people now, at least that I know, they're going in taking the standard deductions. Like they're not, there, there is no, there. I mean, I don't know how yours were, Paul, but that's what I'm finding when I talk to other people is people that used to have relied on real estate taxes, mortgage interest expense, donations, all these different things. Um, typically nowadays, they don't add up to to where they need to be in order to take. So a lot of people are taking the standard deduction, which I find very interesting. So a lot of the tax advantages that most people were getting are sort of getting wiped away, right? Which I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I, I don't know. That's another debate. I'm not going to get into a hot topic on politics here, but um, the, <laughs> you're, you're really close. Though. I'm very close. I'm on that edge. But, you know, for me, I, well, I don't know what you found, Paul. I don't want to dig too deep. But, you know, I had it, you know, the, the seems like the standard deduction is becoming more and more the norm. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk it through with my accountant every year and, um, you know, he maps out the math and, and does what's best. So I think this year was um, kind of the same as last year in the sense that, you know, we, we're still itemizing and things like that where we can. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. With that, we'll go on to our weekly topic, right? Reddit, personal finance, random topics, right? The so rabbit hole. Yes, yes, yes. So I think we'll we'll dive we'll dive into topic one, right? Which is let's take a look at this article, and we'll post all these links onto the Facebook page. Uh, bought out lease for twelve k. Honda Financial is refusing to send the title. Um, seems like they're getting the runaround here, Paul. I'll let people read the story, but um, you know it says at my wits end, and I'm down and I am down 12k for a car that I don't even have a title for. Uh, I'm one guy. How do I go about holding a company as big as Honda accountable and actually giving me the title for my car? Um, interesting story, right? I I'm trying to read through and I don't have all the facts here, but it seems like the person was trying to do everything and anything to get the title. Um, and, and I think for me, um, I'd have to kind of take a step back and and kind of document all the steps that I took very clearly, right? And kind of write them down, type them out, go through all the steps and document them. And then try to, you know, take that summary and get it to somebody senior at Honda Financial with all the paperwork and see if I can really, you know, give it another college try to do it. I think outside of that, I, I mean, I guess you would have to start getting attorneys involved or or. Or, or contacting maybe one of these services that might be able to help, which is going to cost you money, right? So, which you probably won't get back, right? So before going to an attorney, I think I would continue to try taking a step back and kind of documenting how I would do this. Uh, Paul, what was your take on this story? I agree with you there, Paul. You know, documenting everything. You, once you start getting into any sort of, you know, situation where, you know, it looks like it's not going the normal way. You just started taking taking notes on what you did, when, date, time, who you spoke to, what reps, and everything. And it just makes it easier if you do have to get 
an attorney or someone involved. I actually think one of the people in the comments there, uh, two interesting comments I, I thought. One was uh, they're assuming this person is in the state of California. I'm not sure where they are. Um, they're saying about the title, you know, you can contact the California, whatever, California Financial Services regulators and get them involved, which is a neat way to go, quite honestly. And then another one is, well, depends on the state. Because my state is what this other person says, which is the same in New York. We hold the title for the vehicle here, and uh, they have a lien on it. So you still have to get the lien removed, and you could probably just show that to your state and say, look, here's the documentation. It's paid off. Yeah, I need the lien removed. But the state probably wouldn't do it without that tool from the without the notification from the financing arm. I, I kind of like the one person that uh, a little bit further down and said, you know what, spend a couple hundred bucks maybe and, and get the attorney involved and let them write the letter. And hopefully that's all it takes. Because a lot of times that's all it does take. But uh, you hate spending more money after something you've legitimately paid off and interest on, and now you have to spend even more money to get what's rightly yours. Uh, very frustrating. I can't imagine how angry I would be with something like this. Yeah, it, it is definitely a frustrating situation. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I, I've personally gone through that in the past where you do have to get the lien release. That could be just as frustrating to get that lien release because the title's worthless unless you have the, the lien release paperwork to go with it right so that that's an interesting dilemma so i think it's along the same lines um yeah i i would you know like we you know to kind of recap it you know take detailed notes who you spoke to when you spoke to them what transpired get that history down and keep charging forward and if you get to your wits end and you got to spend a couple of hundred dollars more get the attorney i guess that's probably the way forward right luckily i haven't been in this situation so but it sounds like a reasonable approach and i think everyone that's you know, talking here, you know, adding their content uh, makes sense, right? So um, a, a good path forward um, to, to take this uh, to hopefully resolution for them. Um, yeah, I just find it interesting from a, a major vehicle manufacturer, their finance arm, that this gentleman's having such a problem with it. No, that doesn't surprise me, right? No? Like I, I, I've seen that, you know, because, um, I mean, I think for me, it comes down to you know, their, their back office and it's this big conglomerate, right? I had a similar situation with my mortgage. My last refi that I did, there was an error that they did that wasn't worth, I think I talked about it on the podcast. It wasn't worth going back on, but it was, a, it was just, a, you know, it was just a, a, a mistake the back office made, right? Just, just pure incompetence, right? But it wasn't worth redoing all the paperwork for, right? It just wasn't worth the hassle um, to do it. And in the end, it, it, it was okay that it, you know, I probably lost a few hundred bucks, but it wasn't worth the catastrophic pain of having to do everything over again. Um, so, so, you know, I think that the bigger the company, the risk could be that the more they could screw the paperwork up. Right. And I think we talked about that a little bit with Will Powell, um, on the mortgage front, right. He works currently for a, uh, credit union, Right, a lot less people handling the paperwork in that organization as opposed to a big bank uh, that may be handling the paperwork. So 
he kind of cited firsthand that, you know, getting a loan process through the credit union was way different than he was used to, right? He was someone that went from his own business that was doing processing to working for big banks that were doing processing and then going to a credit union. And he he kind of said in that podcast, and I encourage people to listen back, if you're looking to do a refi or get a mortgage, please listen to our uh, expert, to, to the expert opinion of Will Powell. It was great, great, great podcast if you want to learn about mortgages, the ins and outs. I know that Jody and I tried to do that uh, type of podcast before, but we couldn't do it justice like Will did. So, Will, if you're listening, big shout out. Uh, great podcast to listen back to, especially if you're looking to get a mortgage. But, Paul, long way back to the path. Um, yes, I think that it, it's somewhat surprising, I guess, on, on the surface that this company would screw that up, that big, you know, I guess it's Honda Financial. Um, it's called out in the Reddit uh, story. Uh, it's surprising, but not surprising to me, if that's the way to put it, because I've seen it happen before. So um, with that. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I think with that, we'll go to the next story, which is housing. Buy in a bubble or wait? So this is an interesting one, right? So in COVID, it seems that housing prices have been going up. Uh, people have been well, leaving certain areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People have been leaving uh, the cities to migrate to the suburbs, and you know, there's been this whole burst of activity in terms of home improvement, adding you know everything from outdoor kitchens to redoing the house to adding extensions. Uh, People are learning to live in their house more. I think this will subside somewhat over the next couple of years as we go back to some level of normalcy post-COVID. But this was an interesting uh, question here, right? So I guess this person would love to sell our house into something nicer. Right now, the prices are inflated, so should I wait, even though there's great interest rates? you know, so do we wait or, or 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 go forward? And I guess for me, it's it's interesting because what I typically find is, or at least when I was buying my homes, the two that I bought, um, if you're buying in a hot market, you're selling in a hot market. So I, I they sort of in a weird way they could negate themselves, but I understand the concept. If you're going from a house that you're selling for three hundred thousand. And you're buying it for four hundred thousand. When the market cools, you could see that hit. But it all depends on what your outlook is for the home. And I think for me, it's that long-term play. Um, I think over time, um, that that um, buying in a hot market might not be so bad. But it, it to me, it's a, it's a tough toss-up. I I think if since you're in a house now, and you don't really need to get another house they even say to get something nicer so it's more nice to have so you're you're not selling the house because out of necessity to get another bigger house right so I, i'm i'm kind of torn on this one paul I, I would say wait if you're not really pressed to get a new house unless you really love the new house um because i could see that price differential cooling off later on and you could lose a bit of money um even if you're selling higher you're also buying a lot higher Right. So eventually, if the market cools, you are going to take somewhat of a hit. Hopefully it's not too big of a hit. Paul, what was your take on this story? So a couple points. One, it says here they're looking at a $450,000 home. And in a normal market, they're saying it's worth $300,000. So you know, that, that's a 50% difference in valuation. Right. And that, that's a lot. 
Paul, gosh, I wish I had a crystal ball on, on housing markets. Um, uh, it probably wouldn't, maybe we'd still be talking. I don't know, right? Because we're friends. But uh, again, it, it's really different. Um, one of the posters below added an interesting link to another article called uh, on the website called The Balance. When will the housing prices drop again? And this was done, I think, in 2020, that article. And uh, really, really good article. I kind of liked it. And it shows the times of recession over time with the housing prices and the index of them and how the recessions impacted them. And their article was pointing out that, well, yes, during some, some recessions, the housing did take a hit, specifically in the Great Recession of you know, 2007-2009 era. It did take a hit there. But by and large, they're saying from their data that over time, it, they, while well, yes, they go down long term, it, it plays out, which is interesting because personally, I've been talking with uh, with my bride here, like, gosh, do, do, do we sell? And maybe I would be something different. I actually wouldn't buy something nicer. I would look at it to buy a, a fixer upper and then put sweat equity back in. I'm not sure she has the patience to do that or wants to do that. So we haven't done anything, but it's a tough one. I mean, you, can you, I guess the real question is if you're paying that much of a premium, can you still afford it? And are you t making other sacrifices, whether it be your retirement planning or you overstretching yourself? That's kind of one of the ways I would look at it. Yeah. I, I think this could be a whole podcast. Honestly, I so too. Uh, it, I it's 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 so it's, too. it's an interesting. You know, when when is the time to buy? I I think it. In, I think there's some general rules out there that people will abide by or or adhere to, um, but I really think it comes down to you know every individual transaction. Um, some transactions are winners and some are losers, and it all comes down to timing. Um, you know, I think that's the key. Um, you know, and, and I think that, um, you can't time the market on these things. Yeah. And I think you... that's where it gets really tough. I mean, there might be some obvious timing. Maybe this story to me resonated that there's some obvious timing here, um, given the situation. But, you know, um, when I bought my condo, I thought it was at the height of the market and then we got a nice return on it. And then I bought the house I'm in now and it's a loser, right? And it's, it is what it is, but I didn't buy the house with the intention of it being an investment. It was always kind of a defensive play. I need a house because I need to put a roof over my family's head. So um, that was part of my thinking process of, you know, getting the house, paying it off as fast as possible because it's a loser for me and just, you know, lick my wounds. Now I do have the gains, if I had to like work through the numbers, it's not as much of a loser, but um, because I had gains on the first transaction. But in the end, um, you know, this house is not going to be profitable for me, right? In the end game, you know. Hmm. So, um, you know, and 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 a lot of people don't factor in all the upkeep and work you have to put into the house over time, right? You're putting fences up, you're painting new appliances. There, you know, if you really added things up, 
you know, and you really did the math, I don't think, you know, a house is really an investment. It's more of a um, defensive play, right? And yes, they're, you know, from from years ago, and, and, and there are some, you know, recent stories. I know, Paul, I think you, you've done pretty good with your house, but you know, I think a lot of people, if you really sit down and do the math, it's not really meant to be an investment. The house was never meant to be an investment, right? The house was meant to be your homestead. And once it's paid off, you you go and sell it. People were not making profits by leaps and bounds on housing, right? That's right, only, right. that's a recent trend in the last two decades, right? Where the yeah. house, I think, has become more of an investment. All right, maybe I'll agree with you on the last two decades. I think it's been longer than that. Um, I do think our America's perception of it has dramatically changed. And, and maybe it is, I'll say the last three decades where it is an investment. And it's always been people who are buying a home. It's generally their single largest investment and asset. And that's how a lot of the financial experts out there in the world have, have portrayed it. So, you know, you're looking at it from a purely defensive play to use your words is, is interesting. Because uh, I don't think I don't think very many people look at it that way at all. They look at it as an investment. So interesting point. Interesting. I, I I agree that it's an asset. I don't know about an investment. And I'll let everyone out there really do the math. I mean the real math, right? So you bought the house from day one, and you're gonna sell it, you know, 20 years later, whatever that is, whatever that duration is, and add up all the expense that you had to go through um to maintain keep that house going and then you know take your net sale price and 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 everyone's going to be different right but i'm not yep. sure if you add all that stuff up versus renting versus some of these other options that are out there i i don't think the profits are as big as people think they may be right so that's why it's individual and i think it comes down to people doing the math and, and doing the true math on, on it, right? So I think that's where, and I've talked about this in the podcast with Jody in the past as well. We've talked about this, you know, investment concept. And and really, like I said, I agree that it's an asset, but I, I don't know if it's an investment. For me, it's not an investment. I wouldn't see it as an investment. I, I would definitely agree that it's an asset. Okay. So cool. Okay. Um, maybe we'll do a podcast on it in the future, uh, kind of dig into that topic a little bit more um the next topic we have here is helping preparing for potential unemployment so looking at this um interesting right got wind that my department's been is being reorganized new boss uh several months out there's all these different things that are indicating that this person could be or could not be in trouble right depending on how you look at it right whether you're pessimistic or optimistic um you know, uh, I, I've seen this happen before where, you know, there's a big massive reorg and you get new management and 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 it turns out to be a great thing, <laughs> right? So, or as this guy says, it could be really bad, right? So I think it really depends, but either way you want to, you know, prepare to try to figure out, you know, how do you handle a potential? And I love the word potential unemployment here. Um and this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier with the news stories, right? Having at least the six months expenses set aside, which this person has. Um, should he be starting to cram extra cash away beyond that? Absolutely. Should that person be looking for a new job? Absolutely, 
right? Uh, all these things um, should be in play. Um, in fact, I know that I, we're referencing the old podcast today. Maybe it's because we mentioned it was the anniversary, Paul. I don't know. But the other <laughs> thing that triggered here was Jody has a friend who, whenever he gets a new job, day two, he's looking for his next new job. So he's always looking, always preparing, you know, uh, update, updated resume, the whole nine, right? Always uh, on the lookout for the next great opportunity, uh, which I think is interesting, right? Uh, I, I think it's an, uh, to me, it's a drastic approach. <laughs> you might yeah. want to put your pencil cup down before you start going on monster.com after you just got that new job, if it were me. But, but it, it's an interesting concept, right, that people continue to to move and continue to look and continue to find these things um the last thing in the article talks about you know dropping the retirement savings maybe maybe you know if you feel that strongly about it can't hurt it, it's a it's a two-way door decision uh where you know you drop it for those you know s you know few months until things settle down and then you re-up it and, and and bring it back full force or uh or, or double the percentage to kind of make up for it for a temporary basis so I think the person here is doing all the right things. I just didn't see anything about this person looking for a new job. So I think I agree with everything in here about the retirement fund, uh, cramming extra cash away, some of these other things that he's asking about because he's thinking, he or she is thinking in that right mindset. But I would also be proactive. If, if, if the company is clearly sending you a signal whether it's direct or indirect, that you may be in trouble, um, you you have to you have to be proactive, right? You can't be reactive. It's not the time to be reactive. And I don't know this person's situation. I don't know how old this person is. I don't know how many kids they have. You know, it's a different story if you're by yourself and you're two years away from retirement, as opposed to your family uh, with six kids, a wife, and an ex-wife right? You need that income, right? <laughs> you need that income. So you really can't sit on your laurels and wait and see what happens. But everyone has a different opinion on this, right? Um, so Paul, what was your take on this uh, question? So first off, yeah, I agree that they had the six months of expenses. I would personally, me, I would probably start cramming a little extra in there. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, may, maybe drop the retirement savings. It depends on, you know, again, how much you're able to cram away as extra savings. So I, I would consider that strategy as well. I think one of the posters, uh, the first posters down below says, update your resume and start looking for new work. I, I agree. And I, actually on the resume topic, you know, um, I've never had a professional service do my resume. However, I've talked to some people about it over the years and I actually, you know, online on LinkedIn or whatever, they say, hey, get your resume evaluated for free. So I actually talked to one of those people, I don't know, a year or two ago, just for, for giggles, because it had been a long time since I did my resume. And they shredded my resume, man. They shredded it. It was, it was interesting. Um, I've had friends who've used a service, and they were really impressed with how much they helped. And the amount of contacts they got on redoing the resume, as well as some places, uh, the place I'm thinking of, they also help you with your LinkedIn profile. So they make sure your LinkedIn profile, your resume are in alignment, using the right terms. Um, 
Heck, and there's still a lot you could do yourself, of course, but even using tools like Grammarly to help you read through the wording on the resume and make sure it is well-written and concise, grammatically correct. So yeah, if I'm this person, I, I'm definitely looking for a new job potentially, and it doesn't hurt. I, I, if if it does turn out to be a great thing for you, Paul, that you know this reorg works out better for you, great. You've updated your resume. You've been there five years. It says according to this, and you you've gotten some maybe some interviews in under your belt to shake off some rust. So uh, kind of same mindset of you on that one. Those are some of the things how I would approach that. Yeah, and I think that that's definitely a topic I want to revisit. I think we've done it in the past. It's worth revisiting. Um, I could go into my um, my stories on some of those pieces, but I agree with you. So I'm going to save that for a future podcast. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But yeah, I, I think that you know making sure you get out there and start looking again, um, start that search while you think you might be in trouble is a good thing. And so yeah. um, you know, I think it's interesting uh, that the person was thinking about all the, you know, he was think he or she was thinking about, you know, saving, should I save? I got my emergency fund, all those things. But so that's more, you know, and I get it. That's all smart. But the person did not mention in the question, should I be looking for a new job? And that would be the first thing I think that kind of jumps out at me. And that's why I mentioned it. And you mentioned it too, Paul, was, you know, you can't sit on your hands on this one. Right. If you're that worried about losing your job and you're to the point where you're asking, should I put extra money away? Should I cut my retirement down? You're in the boat now to to go do that. And 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 if that person's listening, which is doubtful, but the advice I would give is don't panic. But I would methodically start to assemble one step at a time. You know, how do I get out of this situation? Right? How do I find my next new big thing? And I think that's important. So, um, yeah, well, you're saying don't panic. Me, I'm I'm doing that immediately. It's not like I'm going to do one thing this week. One no, thing no, week. no, no. I hear what you. <laughs> I, I, you know, Paul, I get it. And I don't think you'd be panicking, but I think your 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 list of things to do would be a lot uh, for people that might be deer in the headlights because this hasn't happened to them before. Like I've worked with people in my career; they've been at the same spot twenty plus years, and then when something happens. It's devastation, right? Yeah. And we'll talk about this. I think we'll do a topic on it. But, you know, I know people have been in that, right? And and they're shocked when it happens, right? So uh, to me, I, I, I agree with you. I'm the same personality. I'd be all over that. And I would be, you know, pressing on pulling all the levers to get a new gig. But if this person is is not in that mindset and likes the job, but in putting all these things aside, but not you know has been tentative about looking for the new gig, I would say one step at a time, do one thing each day, like whatever that is to get you moving in that direction. But you you know I'm like you, Paul. We do the same thing. If if that were if there was a whiff of that, forget it. We would be doing what we need to do to get the next gig, right? And it wouldn't be time boxed. It would be, okay, we're going to get all this stuff done as fast as possible. But, you know, but for people who are not in that mindset, at least do one thing. Because that person didn't sound to me like they were in that mindset because they never asked that question. And I'm reading into it, of course, but, and that person may be behind the scenes doing that, but I can only read from what I'm reading. And from what I could tell, that person is more worried about 
having enough money for when the the axe falls. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that when the axe falls or or get out from under the axe before it falls. If that makes sense. Or here, or, or you time it. Maybe you get a package, and then you get the new gig. I mean, I, I've had people do that too. Uh, <laughs> you can't time it. You can't really time it, Paul. But I, I, I do know people that. One hand, know, maybe I know people that have been able to do that. Right, one hand. True. Right, one like hand. it's very. You got to really. <laughs> you really got to have that. Um, lined up and 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 for those of you out there there there's a lot of jobs out there where there is no package yes right there's no package sure. most, most right aren't. most jobs in america there's no package right you, you get let go you get let go you'd be lucky to get the end of your week's check right so i'm thankful and grateful if i were to let get let go from my role um i, I think there would be a package i'm pretty sure there would be but you know at the end of the day there's a lot of people out there so that makes the urgency to look for a new gig even higher right because you know if you're going to rely on that package and there's there's stories about that too where people will wait for the package right and for those who don't know what we're talking about uh big companies when they do a big layoff or they'll they'll give you you know a certain amount of time built up depending on your tenure it could be you know five weeks of pay 10 weeks of pay you've been there 30 years it could be up to a year of pay there could be all these different rules right but at the end of the day what we mean by package is you get a certain amount of income past your end date with some insurance benefits with some other niceties and you know you could rely on that package and i know people that were waiting for the package and they get the package and the package runs out and they still don't have a job yep right so there's a lot that goes into that so i would i would go back to my my first uh, inkling where, you know, you, you have this problem, you think there's a problem, get out before the axe falls. I think that's always the best bet. Oh, I, um, I, agree. I agree. Cool, cool. Um, the next article we have is buying a new car. I, is it worth it? Um, currently have a one-year-old, a 16-year-old, and currently pregnant and baby due in the fall. We both have a 2013 cars that cannot hold all the three kids and two car seats and... I read this article. I can't get past the first couple of sentences, Paul. Me neither. A one-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a uh, and a baby doing a fall. But well, then it goes on to say they, they foster, so God bless them. Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's great from a family perspective, but to me, they have um, car fever. Like, they got cars that are really not that old. The family does fit in the car, and now they're looking at new cars. And I think it's more of a nice-to-have than a necessity. Well, no, they're, they're saying in their cars, uh, they're from 2013, so they're, say, eight years old, all right, um, and they will not hold all three kids in the back seat. So that's why they're looking at a minivan. So, you know, for me, you know, yeah, I did the minivan, and it was great having it, but their question is, do they buy used or a new vehicle? Because, um, you know... As you drive, as soon as you drive, drive the car off a lot, your value of the vehicle drops yeah, substantially. I, I, I'm not buying the whole can't fit three kids in the backseat thing. <laughs> like, I can't pass that, right? Like, I, I, I think I they could car do it. It's a big, they're bulky, and you're going to put a 16 year old between yeah, two Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. That one I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with, right? It still feels to I, me like they're, I, I they're itching for everybody to, to say, hey, you should go buy a new car. 
right? It, it feels a little bit impulsive. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. But I'll, I'll take that hat off, and I'll 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 I will uh, agree that okay, we can't fit the three kids in the back seat. So I'll I'll buy what they're saying, right? Um, so let's focus on what they're asking and try to. I won't I won't judge here. Uh, I'll throw I'll take the judgment hat off. Um, buying a new car versus the used car, right? So yeah. interesting. Um, I see personally, I see value in 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 buying used cars, but really through uh, CPO programs, certified pre-owned programs. That would be my bet because I I don't know if I would want to buy a used car that's relatively new um, privately anymore. I think because if one thing goes wrong on one of these high tech vehicles, um, it could cost you thousands of dollars. So I'd be more comfortable splitting the middle. So instead of buying a car via private sale or buying a brand new car, I think in this case, I think these people should look at buying a certified pre-owned car and I'll take my judgment hat off. Uh, Paul, what's your take on this uh, question? So this is probably one of my my biggest uh, financial faux pas. Uh, I don't like used cars, um, not even certified pre-owned. I, I just have this thing against them. And my thing against them is I've seen the way people take care of their cars. Right? I, me, I take care of them. I am very good about the maintenance on them monitoring them, keeping them clean. Um, I go through crazy. I've learned a lot about auto detailing since I got my last car three years ago because I really keep it really nice. But I'm always worried about what don't I know about this vehicle. And next to the home, it's a big expense, and I rely on it. So I've, I've taken the tact of where I tend to buy new vehicles, but I keep them a really long time. Okay, so my current car is a, a 2009. That's the one I drive. And the other car is my wife's, and that's a 2018, which replaced an older car. So I'm kind of the new car guy because um, I know what I'm getting. Uh, I am getting generally a much longer warranty than to some extent some of the certified pre-owned. But it's more expensive. I know that. I I've come to grips with knowing that I'm losing money on the vehicle, but by not leasing, uh, which is what a lot of people do do, I, I know long-term I'm saving on it. And if I'm buying a used car, I don't know if I'm going to keep a used car the, the additional 10, 11 years that I would if it was, you know, the new, so... That's kind, of, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I kind of lean towards a newer vehicle. Yeah, I think those are all valid points, right? Um, I think that there's some mitigation that that is in place with, you know, some of these services now. When you buy the used cars, they, they have Carfax. And there, there's different things there that can tell you a little bit of detail around service, how, how often the car was serviced, where it was purchased, how long they've had it, any accidents, all those kind of things. But but I would agree with you. There is a level of certainty, uh, definitely a level of certainty you get because uh, you're the only person driving that car. So totally get that. Uh, for me, I'm just not wor- not sure if it's worth the extra dollars, right, uh, that it is to buy new versus a used, right? And that you have to do the math on, right? And only you will be comfortable 
with the math, right? Well, so you have to admit knowing you're right off the bat losing money on it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they always, that old story, you drive it off the lot, it lose, it drops, you know, five grand, ten, whatever that percentage is, right? 20% so, or something, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it comes down to, uh, once again, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I think we could disagree on this one. I think uh, the next car we get will be for my wife, and that will be a CPO, uh, based on what I've researched and know. But um, you know, I don't think getting a new one would be out of bounds either. Uh, just just from my personal research and what I've seen, um, you know, it's it's something that if I buy a CPO car and I have that savings and I do all my research and the mileage looks good and the Carfax looks good. And everything looks good to me, and I get it, and I drive it down the street, and the transmission falls out. Well, it's on the dealer anyway, right? Because it's under, you know, CPO is going to come with some level of warranty, right? And usually it's a pretty decent warranty for several years, right? So if anything major has been done or anything major is wrong with that car, it should shake itself loose, uh, you know, hopefully right away. Right? No, I, I know, I and I get you. I was actually looking for a used vehicle for for my son for when he moves out and gets his job. And um, the vehicle I was looking at, they just sell too fast, even in the used market. So um, I might end up giving him our three-year-old vehicle, and then we get a new vehicle. That's kind of how I might play that out. Understood. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I don't think there's a right or wrong here. And uh, Once again, we're just you know, two dads just kind of spitballing here. I, I think we're just giving you folks out there options, right? Do your research. If you're looking at two vehicles, uh, do the math, right? And, and do what's comfortable, right? And, and at the end of the day, um, you also want to do what's comfortable for you. So even, you know, wh whatever the math looks like, you know, some of this is emotion, right? So if you, you know, you have to take that into account when you're looking at buying, uh, anything, I guess, right? Whether it's new or used, right? Uh, but but for me, I think that both areas are, are viable, right? Whether you're going to buy a new car or, or a used car, I think my only caveat is if you're going to buy a used car, I, I would buy personally a certified pre-owned from a dealer. I don't know if I would go private sale anymore. I, I think there's too much of a risk. The, the cost of the used car would have to be way lower right and and this doesn't go for like first cars beater cars whatever your budget is right now i feel like we're i'm thankful and grateful we're we're talking about these things but you know if you're buying a used car sub you know 5000 sub 10000 it's a whole different ball game in terms of what you're looking for right but to answer this person's question if you're looking at a new versus a used car and it sounds like they have they, they have whatever, you know, I didn't even, you know, I can't read into their financial crystal ball, right? I don't know if they're making, you know, $20,000 a year household income and they're looking at an $800 a month Odyssey payment. I don't know. They don't say that in the article, right? That's another thing to factor in. You got to buy what you afford. Um, so, you know, I, I have no visibility from the question, but from a pure, you know, pure example perspective, side by side, new car versus used car. I would go new car versus CPO car. I, I would not bring private sale of a car back into the factor because unless there's a warranty associated with that used car somehow still that's transferable, 
um, it's it's a lot more of a risky move to buy a, a, a used car without the warranty, especially something that's relatively new. So I think I think with that, we'll maybe jump to the next the last, final question. I know we've gone a long a long episode today, Paul, but we'll squeeze in one more question. Right, uh, right. Car finance prior to getting a mortgage. Good or bad idea? I'm a student soon to graduate, soon be graduating, will be working full time again very soon. My current vehicle is edging closer and closer to becoming uneconomical to repair. I would like to purchase a new car after I begin working full time. I have money set aside for a house deposit. Um, so I guess this comes down to would you buy the car first or get the house first? To me, once again, I, I, I don't quite know because I don't have all the facts. My gut instinct tells me I'd rather focus on the house purchase and then focus on the car. If the car is sort of working, I would <laughs> I would rather get the house uh, before I get a car. Um, but, you know, then there's impacts to credit score if you get the car first. Like there's all these things that come into play. And Paul, I know they mentioned credit score specifically here, and that's your wheelhouse. Uh, what's your take on this uh so I, I actually have a, a very personal experience with this. So prior to buying the home I'm in now, my wife and I um, did buy the Honda Odyssey minivan. So we, we, we did have the minivan, and I think we had it. Uh, I, I could probably do the math on that. I think we had the car 18 months or so, and it was a new Odyssey fall. It was not a used. It was not a certified pre-owned, just to let you know. I am consistent in that space. And so I bought the car, and it was fine. All of a sudden, you know, we were fortunate. We were able to find a house before. Actually, it didn't even go through a broker, this home. We, we were able to do it as, as a direct purchase with the homeowner at the time. And, well, we got the mortgage. We got pre-approved for the mortgage. And then our mortgage guy, who you know well, Mike, called me up. He said, Paul, what's up with the... Uh, with the Odyssey. Like, what do you mean what's up with the Odyssey? It's on the, all the documents. You see it. Yeah. Well, they don't want to give you the mortgage unless you don't have the car loan. Hmm. I said, well, if I do that, then that means I'm putting less down on the home. So, you know, wouldn't they rather I put more down on the home? I'm like, nope. They don't want to see that on, on there. I'm like, so they want me to pay off the car and then have less money to put down the home and they'll still give me the mortgage. He's like, yep. Like, All right, done. I'll pay it off tomorrow. Like, and that's what I did. So kind of maybe not exactly aligned with this article, but kind of pretty close. Right. So they did not like the fact that I had a auto loan prior to, to buy this home. So I agree with you. I'd probably do the home first and then get to the car. Very cool. Yeah, there you go, everyone. Real life example here. Um, yeah, it, you know what? And you can't account for corporate thinking, right? <laughs> um, you know, because you know you're right, but you know they're they're working from their guidelines, right? And there's probably a decision tree that they have that they don't deviate like that from. Ratio calculation. Yeah, yeah, they don't deviate from that. So I, I get it you know, what they're doing, but that's an interesting story. Thank you for sharing that, Paul. That, that's interesting. So I think we're, we're both in agreement. Buy the house um, and, and forgo the car. Although someone in the article here in, in one of the answers says, I hear you loud and clear. Buy an RV. You get the best of both <laughs> worlds, right? So I guess you could do that. I guess that could be the way to go. So um, 
I think with that, we'll kind of go into the summary recap. I, I always enjoy these articles. I think the things that jumped out at me today is we have two new topics that I think we'll hit um, in the next uh, couple of months. One is this, you know, home is it an investment. Is it an asset? Is it both? Is it neither? Um, we'll, we'll visit that. And then we'll also talk about, um, you know, uh, jobs, right? Resumes and LinkedIn profiles and all these different things and maybe do an updated episode on the next big job, right? And and how to handle that and look through those pieces. So I think that's my takeaway, Paul. What, what was your recap for today? Yeah, I'll be interested. It'll be fun to do those two new uh, stories and uh, topics, um, the resume and how it impacts work and, um, you know, job hunting and things like that. You know, it's getting on the edge of finance, but Let's face it, everyone. That, that's how we we do do finances, right? A job. So it'll be a good topic. I look forward to it. Yeah, most people who have who are probably listening to our podcast are are working for somebody else. I would think, uh, for the most part, I would think. No, you, you could have your own small business. You, you could be. You know, yeah, but I think if we had to do, or... I, I'm probably being no, uh, anecdotal here, but I would guess that 80% of our listeners are working for somebody. At least eighty <laughs> percent, and we don't have a big subscribership, but I think I know most of them. <laughs> so I think that um, I think most are probably working for somebody, but there there probably are some edge cases where people either have their own uh, job or have their own you know company, uh, company or something like that. Um, but who knows, right? Uh, th- th- maybe there's a lot more than I'm thinking of. So well, cool. when we when we do the uh, the career one, maybe we should throw in the side gig stuff again touch on that again yeah we could we could we could talk through some of those pieces and and see where it takes us um i'll, I'll get that all documented in our uh in our ideas list yes people we have an ideas list out there so i'll i'll get that in there and and, and get it into the uh into the backlog so cool well with that paul i thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and i'm personally looking forward to the next one thanks everyone for downloading our podcast if you have any questions or comments please email us at financialdads at gmail.com Or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful. But that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you.